John chapter 19, starting to read at verse 16 says, Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. And where they crucified him and the two other with him on either side, one and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. And then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. And then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. And now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, Let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, They parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. I want to draw your attention to the next couple of verses particularly. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother, and the disciples standing by whom he loved, He saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. And then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. Amen. And with the help of the Lord this evening, I'm going to preach from that last verse. The title of my message is simply, Behold thy mother. Behold thy mother. Amen. Anyone who questions the legitimacy of the humanity of Jesus Christ will struggle with this passage of Scripture. By this point in the narrative that leads up to the cross, Jesus has been beaten, he's been whipped, and whipped isn't really a strong enough word, the King James uses the word scourged. He's had a crown of thorns driven into his skull. And already at the point or the brink of collapse, he is thrust upon a rough wooden cross and his hands and his feet have been brutally nailed to the cross. If you've ever studied or read any articles or even heard any preaching about exactly what physical trauma was going through his body at this time, it's difficult for us to comprehend. But every breath and every tiny movement caused the pain receptors in his body to scream out. There was no position of comfort that he could find. There was no reprieve. And no release. And yet, in that incredible agony, Jesus' eyes fall upon his mother. And as the eldest son, he feels a responsibility for her care. As best we can ascertain, Joseph has long passed away. And in that day and age, a widow's life was filled with hardship without family to care for her. And even though every breath in his body is torturous, it's agony. He takes the time in the midst of everything else that's going on. When you consider what was happening in that scene at both a natural level and a supernatural level, 
at both within the arena of time and also in the sphere of eternity. When you consider the magnitude of what was going on, in the middle of all of that, Jesus takes the time to commit the care of his mother into the hands of John, the son of Zebedee. And he says to him, Behold thy mother. And throughout the history of Christendom, the misunderstanding of who Jesus is has often produced the misunderstanding of who Mary was. One tends to lead to the other, and that's kind of how false doctrine works. When you get one thing wrong, the rest starts to fall to pieces. Any of you that like to do different kinds of puzzles that, that, that all interrelate know that if some of you might like those little mass things, I can have, is it Sudoku or Sudoku, or you can argue about that later, but you get one number wrong, the rest of the puzzle doesn't work. It's much the same with doctrine. When you get doctrine from the word of the Lord wrong, it tends to cause problems for other doctrines. That's why it's so important that we rightly divide the word of truth. Mary, contrary to the opinions of some forms of orthodoxy, is not the mother of God. It is pointless to pray to her, and it is unbiblical to do so. She is unable to answer your prayers, and contrary to some people's opinions, she cannot pass them along to Jesus or leave them in the entry in his office. That's not how it works. That's not biblical. Amen. That's why when we pray as apostolics, as directed by the Scripture, we go direct to the throne. We bypass any go-betweens, any messenger services, and we pray in the name of Jesus. And when we pray in that fashion, we know that He that spoke everything into existence, that spoke to things that were not and they became, hears the cry of our hearts in a moment of time. We don't have to worry that somebody dropped our note or that somebody lost the envelope or that like when you were a kid and you played Chinese whispers and the message got muddled up. We deliver direct to Him when we pray. And I'm grateful tonight that I don't have to worry if Mary's having a bad day or one of the saints is having a bad day. When I pray, He's always awake. His ear is always turned to me, and he hears the cry of my heart. Hallelujah. And in everything that Jesus came to do and achieve, in a human way of thinking, it would have not have been surprising and possibly even acceptable, don't get upset, ladies, that in the midst of all of that, he might forget his mother. When you think about Calvary and everything that was going on, you might give him a pass if he forgot about his mother. But he understood that although Mary was not divine, she is not a mediatrix or any of those other false theological terms, she was as ordinary as everybody else, as you and I, but she was necessary to complete his purpose. We can easily forget that it was Mary's reputation that took a beating when she became with child before she was married. It was her reputation in a society where that was a, a shameful thing and something to be looked down upon and, and talked about and gossiped about. And the child was born very quickly after she was married. And when the Pharisees questioned Jesus' parentage in John 8, when they said, you know, who's your father? They weren't just talking about where's your dad. They were challenging his legitimacy. Mary had dealt with that all his life. From the time that he was born 
her reputation was the one that had taken a beating. And so compared to the bigger picture of God manifest in the flesh, of the incarnation, of God being invisible, making himself visible, and all that was brought about by that, Mary's role seems small, but it was still important. And nowadays in our society, there are many broken homes. There's a lot of single parents, and if you're connected to that or that affects you directly, not here to bring shame to anybody. God welcomes us as we are, and those things are often beyond our control. And even in families where both parents are present because the cost of living is high, particularly in a big city, often both parents work. We can all relate to that. Many of us as parents are both working. We, we understand what that's all about. And, uh, but when I was growing up, which is longer ago than I like to think about, it was much more common for dads to go to work than for mums to stay home with the children. And so when you were a child, at least in my generation and in my neighborhood, mum was there all day. When you got up in the morning, mum was there. It was mum that said, have your breakfast. It was mum that said, brush your teeth, comb your hair, do your shoelaces up, feed the dog, take the rubbish out. That was mum who was there. Dad gone to work. But it was mum that was the one that was there all the time. And then you would go to school and you would come home and mum was there again. And it was mum that said, do you have any homework? Have you emptied your lunchbox? Why do you only have one shoe? What did you just say to me? Who taught you that expression? Who have you been hanging around with at school? I used to think my mum was psychic because she could tell I had a new friend, but I would say things they would say, and she'd say, that didn't come from you. Where'd you get... I used to think... I used to think there were cameras at school. They didn't even have those kind of cameras when I went to school. You know, and... All that stuff, and you know, then it was go and have a bath. Make sure you wash yourself, because all of us as kids would go in the shower, turn the water on, let it run in the drain, and get out and pretend we were clean. Wondered why our parents could tell, apart from the fact we smelt like wild goats because we hadn't had a wash. Set the table, do all those things. So mum was there all day long. And if we're honest, when we look back, if I'm honest, I can't speak for everybody, we probably didn't appreciate her at all at that stage of life. In fact, there were times we kind of wished that she would leave us alone. And to make it worse, our friends always seemed to have mothers that were way cooler than our mothers. Anybody go to school with friends and their mums were so cool and your mum was just, you know, my kids would say, my kids have said to me that I'm where happiness goes to die. And some of us felt that way about our, our mothers. You know, well, my friend, his mother, she's amazing. And we would want to go and live in someone else's house. And I can, I can remember in primary school, we would have ice cream, and I loved ice cream then, I still love ice cream now. And my mum would let us have ice cream, but there was, there was a bit of a limit there. But I had a friend. And every once in a while on a Friday night, I would go and stay at this friend's house, and his mum didn't buy the little tubs of ice cream. She managed to buy these 10-litre buckets. I don't know where she got them from. But at his house, on a Friday night, the ice cream was an all-you-could-eat buffet. And at that age, at 10 or 11 years of age, all-you-could-eat ice cream was as close as you got to heaven on earth. Because his mum was cool. My mum, not so cool. And when she listens to this on the podcast, I'm going to be in trouble. But mom was always there 
telling us to do stuff. It's just mum. Any mothers ever felt like you were just mum? Let's have some honest mums in the building tonight. Amen. But you see, then at the end of the day, dad came home. And dad was great. He wasn't there much during the day, but dad was great. We'd have dinner. We might eat and talk, probably with our mouthfuls, till mum saw us. And then we'd play a little bit with dad, maybe watch a bit of TV with dad while mum wasn't looking, because that's how it had to happen in my house. I had to slip out to the lounge when mum wasn't looking. And then the kids would go off to bed, and the cycle repeats the next day. You get up in the morning, dad's gone to work, and what do you know? Mum's still here. Tell me what to do. Amen. Saturday mornings at my house when I was young, my dad would take us to the swimming pool and then we'd get KFC for lunch so that my mum could clean the house. Dads are great. When I was that age, I thought dad was great. Mum, mum was just, you know. And it's not usually until we get older, often until we have children of our own, that we get a glimpse of the magnitude of what it means to be a mother and of the demands and often thanklessness in the short term at least of that role amen my wife spoke this morning about some of the things that a mother does during a lady service she spoke about the great love that a mother has and the times that her heart is broken for her children and by her children and yet she continues to love them and my wife referenced the verse of scripture in Isaiah where the Lord said, can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? And yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. And in the Lord's effort to communicate to us how great his love is for us, he drew a comparison between that relationship between a mother and a child. It wasn't some random example, but he knew the power and the intimacy of that relationship that he was referring to. See, the family, the family is God's design and mothers and fathers fit into that and they're both as important as each other in that picture. But only a mother carries a child in a body for nine months. It's only a mother's body that nourishes that child before it's born and often after it's born for a serious amount of time as well. And so, Men, while you may be the father of the year, there is a connection that you simply cannot biologically have with your children. Regardless of how this world tells you that you can identify as whatever you like, I challenge any man in this building to give birth tonight. You can identify as a lady if you want to, but you're not having kids. And so there is a bond. There is a connection. There is something that exists between a mother and her children that fathers can sort of comprehend at a rational level but not at a relational level because it's just it's unique to a mother and her child. And it's interesting, in Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 1, it says the Proverbs of Solomon, A wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. Why does the father get the good deal and the mother gets the bad deal? Because it is the mother's heart that is more broken than the fathers. Not that fathers are hard-hearted or they don't get broken hearts, but it is, there's a reason that it is the mother that is referenced who bears the grief more than the father in this proverb. And it does not matter, as any of you that are grown know, it does not matter how big you get. 
your mum is always going to be your mum. When I started my apprenticeship, 17 years of age, I was as tall as I am now. I was about half as wide, but I was as tall as I am now. And I rode my bicycle 10 kilometers or thereabouts to work to start at midnight. I looked like anybody else does on the first day of the job. Everything was brand new. Brand new white trousers, brand new white shirt, brand new white aprons, brand new little white funny hat we had to wear. It was pretty obvious that I was brand new. So I'm trying to get sort of past that as it was and been in the patisserie for a few minutes and the phone rings on the wall. And the guy I'm working with is busy, he says, can you answer that? And I pick up the phone and it's my mother <laughs> wanting to make sure I got to work okay. Now that's a mother's heart. But as a 17-year-old ma- male who thought he was a man, I hung up I'm all right, I'm all right. I hung up the phone and my workmate said, who was that? And because I'm a Christian, I didn't want to lie. I said it was my mother. We had a conversation when I got home at the end of that night shift that didn't go along the lines of, I'm really glad you love me, mum. It went more along the lines of, if you ever do that again, I will change my name and I will move to another country. But it doesn't matter how big you get, she's my mum. Still, when Sister Natalie referenced the fact that we worked in the restaurant together this morning and every industry has its busy time of year, Christmas was ours. And so at Christmas time, most of us worked six days a week, 14, 15 hours a day. My wife would be on the phone with her parents and my father-in-law would say, how's Simon, is he working? And my wife would say, yeah, he's doing all these crazy hours and all these days. And my father would say, good, good. Have the same conversation with my mother. And she's like, is he okay? Is he getting enough rest? I hope he's not working too hard. Just a mother's heart. By this stage, I've got kids of my own, but my mom's still checking to make sure I'm okay. And she still does now. I'm turning 46 this year, and my mother still worries about me and still prays for me more than all of you put together. And that's not a challenge. That's just my mom. And I'm grateful for that. And hopefully by the time I'm done, I'll have this fixed for mom. Bless the Lord. With that in mind, what must it have been like for Mary to see her son crucified? Sometimes we forget the humanity of Jesus and the relationships that that involved. She was powerless to prevent what was happening. She would have gladly taken his place as just about any mother would, but she could not. She knew that he was special. She knew that there was nobody like him. But you see, those hands that had just been nailed to the cross had once held hers while they learned to walk. She had a connection with the Savior that nobody else had. Amen. And what is all this about tonight? What, didn't we give our mothers a little gift this morning? Can't we just move on from this? Some of you have cooked lunch, some of you burnt toast maybe this morning. What's, what's the pastor getting at tonight? Romans chapter 8, and you can turn it if you want to, but many of you are familiar with it. Says for as many, verse 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. It's a, an expression of intimacy. It's not formal, it's intimate. And the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. 
If you wanted to go over to 2 Corinthians 6, my wife referenced this today where it says, Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. How awesome is it to be the children of God? How awesome is it when you stop to think about where we were, where he brought us from, where we might be, and we can only really speculate where we might be because none of us really know where sin would have taken us. But how awesome is it that we have a heavenly Father, that when his Spirit lives in me, there is something about that that adopts me into his family and that, that witnesses. When, I, when, I, when you have the Holy Ghost, when you and I have the Holy Ghost and we come into this place and we begin to worship God and the people of God are lifting their voices and their hands and the Spirit of God begins to move, it's not foreign to us because what we're feeling is in us. And there is a witness that what I'm feeling in this house is connecting with what I'm feeling in my soul because it is the Spirit of my heavenly Father. I can call Him and He hears me. All I have to do is call His name and He he provides my every need. He gives me peace. He gives me joy. And even, this is one of the amazing things about God, even if my natural family is a bit out of sorts or things haven't gone great or even if it's been really, really bad, the psalmist said in Psalm 27 and 10, when my father and my mother forsake me then the lord will take me up and so even if your natural family is messed up even if you don't know your natural family even if there's so many things you'd like to change none of that disqualifies you from being a part of his family none of that you don't get interviewed and say well how's your parents relationship and how's your grandparents relationship none of that comes into it because we are his children And even if in the natural your family is a mess, He will take you up, the Bible says. Hallelujah. So even if we haven't got it in the natural, we can have it in the spiritual. And the thing is, I know which one's going to last longer than the other. My natural family's getting older. My spiritual family's going all the way. And I'm going to be with the Lord. Amen. Amen. He will not leave us comfortless or fatherless, the Bible says in the original, but he will come to us. Abraham, whose name, if I've got this correct, means exalted father or or high father, had a promise from God. He had a promise from God, but the miracle that brought about the promise happened in the womb of a woman. Sarah became the vessel for the high father, for Abraham to receive his child of promise. She became the miraculous environment where previously there was only death in terms of reproductive abilities. Miraculously, she became the vessel that fulfilled his promise. Amen. And in Galatians chapter 4, and if you want to turn there, you can. I don't want to get bogged down in chapter 4, but I don't want to rush on and, and lose people either because some of you know it better than others. But the Apostle Paul writes and he compares, he goes back to the book of Genesis and he, he sort of refers to the story of Abraham and Sarah of how as they got very old and they were unable to have children, they tried to fix that themselves. 
and they introduced a young servant girl into the situation and Abraham fathered a child with her and there was a son that was born to that father that had the promise. But the promise was not fulfilled the way that the promiser intended it to be. And so we know that little time went by and the Lord said, yeah, he's a nice kid, but he's not the one I'm looking for. And miraculously, when Sarah and Abraham should have been thinking about things like which retirement village we should move into, they were thinking about what color do we want to paint in the nursery because the Lord miraculously caused her to become with child and Isaac was born as the child of promise. And you can read, if you don't know that, I encourage you to read that story in the book of Genesis. But the reason... The reason that Paul references it in Galatians 4 is that he's saying in the Old Testament we had all these rules and this is how things were supposed to be and it didn't work very well. And in the New Testament we're into a new covenant relationship with God. And he says that old covenant is a bit like that Egyptian servant girl. It's a bit like Hagar. It, it didn't really bring about what God wanted to bring about. But he said in the New Testament covenant it's a bit more like Isaac who was the miraculous child of promise. And in his continuing to unpack that, he says that old situation, the old covenant, Hagar and everything that represented, he said that's like Jerusalem. He said that's like the literal city in Israel, Jerusalem. He said which is still in bondage. What he meant by that was those Jews were blind to who their Messiah was and so they were still trapped in that Old Testament law in that, I guess we could say, kind of Hagar relationship. But then in chapter 4 and verse 26, he says, But Jerusalem, which is above, is free. She's not in bondage. Which is the mother of us all. Jerusalem, which is above, if you want to study that, I'm confident to say, not only talks about heaven, but it talks about the kingdom of God now. It speaks about the church. It speaks about the place where the Lord reigns now. And so when you put all that together... Hagar represents that Old Testament covenant. Sarah and the miracle child that came from Sarah represent the New Testament covenant or the miraculous. Literal Jerusalem, still in bondage. But Jerusalem, which is above, the kingdom of God, the bride of Christ, the church is the mother of us all. Amen. Now, when you look at the life of Jesus, Bethlehem, when he was born, the cross, the empty tomb, the ascension, all of that is about Jesus. And so it should be. All of that is about God manifest in the flesh, our Redeemer, our Savior, our Messiah. Everything in the Scripture points to Him, and so it should. Because He is to be exalted, and He is to be worshipped. But in the midst of all of that, there is a young lady whose name is Mary, who was possibly only about, some say as young as 15, some possibly, she was possibly mid to late teens at best. When God stepped into her life and chose to use her. Now, God could have done anything, but that was his plan. And his plan was that he would use this willing vessel, an ordinary person, an ordinary young lady, to bring about the fulfillment of his incredible plan. Amen. What's this all about? We worship Jesus. We magnify Jesus. We're saved by Jesus. It's Jesus that is coming back for us. It is Jesus that is our heavenly Father. But according to how I read that verse of Scripture, the church is our mother. The church is our mother. Now you might think that's weirding out, but give me a moment. That's why I'm preaching tonight. Behold thy mother. 
Behold the mother. See, we don't worship the church. And God forbid that we ever should. But if you're going to see the promises that God has given you come to pass, you're going to need a father and you're going to need a mother. You're going to need him who is the king of kings and you're going to need willing vessels that don't have the power themselves, but God's miraculous power can operate in and through to bring around about His will. Amen. We need the church tonight. We need the church of the living God. Just as Mary was a necessary part of the machinery that brought about the promises of God in this generation, this church is a part of those same promises. Amen. Bless the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 6, and I'm nearly done. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 2 to 3 says, Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. The Apostle Paul's reaching back to Exodus 12, Exodus 20 and 12, sorry, where it says, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Now, it's a promise, sorry, it's a commandment that comes with a promise. Now, there's a principle there. It's not necessarily a rule. It doesn't mean that everybody that lives long honored their parents and anybody that dies young dishonored their parents. It's, that's not what it's saying. But there is a principle there of the provision and the blessing of God when we honor our mother and our father. And it's worth noticing that it's our father and our mother. Amen. And the provision is for long life. And the question is, well, how long will I live? This is how long you'll live in this age, long enough. You'll either die in him or he'll come back. He'll keep you long enough. If you'll honor your father and you'll honor your mother, he'll keep you all the days of your life to his return or to when we go into the grave. Amen. Proverbs chapter 31 is often used as the text to speak about virtuous women and I've heard it said that it's actually more of a reference to be fulfilled in the church and the more I read it, the more I'm inclined to suggest there is that application because you don't read, you don't find any chapters that says, well, here's how to be a virtuous father. We just get this, this poor 31st chapter of Proverbs and all the ladies are trying to reach this bar that's up here somewhere and there's no chapter for the men saying, well, this is the bar you guys have to reach as well. It's obviously men that wrote the scripture, but... But the scripture says in Proverbs 31 and 28, her children, the virtuous woman, and I want you to substitute in your thinking there tonight, the church, her children arise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Amen. The church is a weird thing full of living people that are all flawed, that are all broken, that are all working and growing together, and it's got its quirks. But don't let me hear you speak bad about my mother. I love this thing. I love this thing. I've been in this thing most of my life, and I know that if I'm going to make it, when he comes back, I've got to stay in the church. Amen. I get upset when I hear people criticize the church because I know how important the church is. Is it perfect? No. Neither is my natural mother. But don't you criticize her either or we're going to have a problem. Amen. She's mine. She's got her own... But I'm going to give her honor anyway because she's my mother. Don't let people talk bad about your mother. If you hear somebody talking down about the church, say, hey, that's my church. Don't say those things. Is it perfect? No, it's not. 
Is it a bit weird sometimes? Some days more than others. But it's still our mother and it's from above. Hallelujah. And we don't worship this thing. We don't exalt it. All of that belongs to our Heavenly Father. But we need to honor our Father and our mother, that it may be long life for us. Behold your mother tonight. Love the church. Stay in the church. Don't dent the church. Don't speak down about the church. Honor your father and your mother tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. There are so many parallels with the natural. We're always talking about how good God is, and so we should. I want to tell you, this thing's all right as well. Amen. This thing, I believe it grieves God when we talk down about our church. I believe it's, it's not what God wants us to do. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's stand together tonight. Let's just lift our hands and worship the Lord for a moment. Hallelujah. God didn't have to use Mary. He didn't have to use Mary. He doesn't have to use a church. But this is His choice. This is His design. He said, this is how I'm going to do it. And an angel appeared to a young virgin and said, God's got something very special for you to do. And tonight, if you're in His church, He appears to us regularly, reminding us that we are chosen by Him. We're ordinary, just like Mary was ordinary. But we're chosen by Him. We're His bride. Amen. This church is our mother. That's not some weird cult. It's The glory belongs to Him. But it is His plan. Hear me tonight. It is His plan. If you're going to be there when that trumpet sounds, you better honor your father and your mother. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, help us to love you, but help us to love your church as well, Lord God, I pray. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. And all those things... All those years ago, all those things about my mother that when I was a brat that I didn't like, that I chafed against, that I used to think that other people's parents were cooler than my mum. Now that I've been around a little bit longer, I understand the value. I wouldn't trade. You know, my, if you know my mother, she's quite a melancholy personality. There have been multiple times throughout my adult life where she's apologized for things that she thinks that she did badly. I don't remember any of those things. When I look back, my memories are all of the good family that I grew up in. And if we have a right spirit, when you look back on what it means to be a part of this family and this house, it's got its dramas. I wouldn't be anywhere else in the world but the church. Hallelujah. 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 I don't know why he designed it the way he did, but he set it up that we would need him above all else. But this right here is our mother. It's this here that's saying, don't forget to do that. 
Do your shoes up. Brush your teeth. Be in the house of God. Read your Bible. Pray. Witness. Love your brethren. Be faithful. Give to the Lord. It's all those things. It's our mother. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus.